extend greetings to you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last time I shared, I, uh, I looked at the uh, church, I looked at the structure of the church, the blueprints, I said. This morning I'd like to look at what takes place within this building uh, this morning. And uh, I've entitled my uh, message to me personally, How's My Preaching? For you and me also, you could change it just a little bit and say, how's my worship experience with a question? We see a similar question many times while traveling on the roads and on the back doors of many commercial vehicles. It says, how's my driving? And then there's an 800 number that you can call. And uh, I don't have an 800 number to give you this morning to address how my preaching is. But I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it. I'm, I'm expanding that this morning uh, to include you in worship and preaching as well. Uh, St. Francis is given credit for this phrase. He says, preach always when necessary, use words. You know, we sometimes think preaching is, is what we do up here behind the pulpit, but preaching is much more than that. Preaching is, is, uh, involves the way we live. I had to think also what Brother Arnie has said already, um, uh, he said, worship begins in the heart. Our worship experience is either enhanced or hindered by what has probably taken place in our hearts before we actually arrive to worship. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This was actually one of my sermon suggestions for the, for the winter meetings. I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, in, at least my Bible says, Ecclesiastes or the preacher. And I thought, well, what better place to turn than uh, for ministers' meeting than to the book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, we're not exactly certain that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's commonly thought that he did, probably later in his life, uh, that he wrote this uh, looking back. And I, as I shared with at our committee meeting, I said, you know, probably my whole series was taken from the book of Ecclesiastes. It wasn't used, and I, I don't feel bad about that because I feel there was something better uh, to select from. But I'm using that this morning as a, as a sermon here this morning for us. Uh, but I said probably why I'm uh, I'm looking. I said I was, as I looked through the book of Ecclesiastes and drew some sermon subjects and titles from. I said I, I see it as, as Solomon and many commentators would agree with that as he reflected and looked back at his life experience. And I said maybe I'm at that same place somewhat. I I'm, I'm over the hill somewhat. I'm looking back. I'm reflecting at what, you know, what has happened in my life in the past, and maybe what some things we could have did different. Solomon here, I'm, so I'm going to address it as Solomon, or the writer, uh, gives us some guidelines for worship here in chapter 5. I'd like to draw some lessons from uh, the truth of God's Word here this morning. I have to think about, in relation to the Sunday School lesson, we were talking about the many times that was repeated, uh, three times, uh, you know, repetition is the law of learning, and there's, there's numerous times throughout the scripture that we have passages or encounters or incidences repeated. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's so that it, it's emphasized, it's driven home. And uh, we see that many times throughout the scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 through 7. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, 
and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath, not, he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou vowest. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. I suggested as, I, as we sat around in our committee meeting, I said that, you know, as preachers we're, we're all good at talking, but how good are we at listening? And, uh, uh, you know, this, this uh, chapter 5 here, it says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house and be more ready to hear. And uh, so I think that's good admonition. First point I want to mention and, and build on this morning, it says, Keep thy foot. And the NIV says, Guard your steps. Uh, everyone this morning that has entered this place of worship, this house, this building, we call it a church, we call it a place of worship, we meet together to have collective worship services, and uh, everyone that has entered this house this morning entered it on their own volition. I, I didn't observe everybody coming, but I didn't see anybody dragging anybody in, I didn't see, there was a few small children, infants that were carried, and if you stop and think about that, that in itself is a blessing to have parents that actually carry you to the house of worship. Uh, and then to think that they are a part of our worship experience as well, regardless of the competition they give the preacher at times. I think that's welcoming and a blessing. It's a family experience. Uh, you are here this morning. You have made the decision to come. Uh, I, as I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, it could be you're here this morning because it's a tradition. Uh, but I hope it's more than a tradition. I hope, it's, I hope it is a tradition. I hope it has become a tradition. I hope it is a tradition. But it needs to be more than that. It needs to be deeper than that. If it's simply a tradition, it's probably going to be, I question how meaningful your worship experience will be this morning. You have to come this morning because you are anticipating an encounter with God, an encounter with those that love the Lord. Have you thought about the fact this morning that you, actually, as you entered those doors, as you made the decision to come, that you have entered those doors and you are meeting with God, holy, uh, almighty God that has created the earth, and you are here this morning to listen to him speak. So I'm suggesting it can be a tradition, but it needs to be deeper than a tradition. And we need to think on that seriously, I believe. Why did I come this morning? Why do I come to church and how would I feel this morning? I thought about it from this angle. How would I feel if I knew that it was against the law for me to attend church? Uh, a house of worship to the true God. You know, I thought of Daniel. You know, it was illegal for him to pray to his God. That didn't faze him. He opened his windows and prayed toward Jerusalem as he always did. Would I be in attendance this morning if I knew it was against the laws of the United States of America to collectively gather with God's people and worship the true God. Thought about our Anabaptist forefathers. You know, the price they paid and uh, the decisions they had to make to attend or not to attend. Just some thought-provoking questions. Well, as I have made that decision to come and to worship 
Am I attentive? Am I listening? Am I meditating? You know, it, it says that as we go to the house of the Lord, guard your foot, keep your foot when thou goest, and be more ready to hear. You know, the singing, the praying, the speaking, the fellowship, I believe should all be God-honoring. It's, it's about Him. It's not about me, but it's about God. Uh, I'm not saying that we, we, we can't talk about secular things, uh, because... You know, that's part of our experience. Secular things are part of our experience. But, and I think it's important that we know how to apply the truth of God's word in secular things. Worship could be one big sphere, as we think about it, one big sphere. And, you know, we have our communal worship service, we have our work, our family, our business. And, you know, that's, worship doesn't stop when we leave church. At least it shouldn't. It ought to continue as we go throughout the rest of the week. And uh, so worship, while it's here, you know, if I would get up and give you a topic this morning about farming or something of, of, of a secular nature, I'm sure you'd be disappointed. But, you know, worship reaches out into all those different areas. But I'm not saying we can't talk about those secular things or how worship applies in those family areas of our lives. Uh, you know, that's basically what we're talking about in the science school lesson, the devotional this morning. We're talking about Decisions that that parents made, fathers made, and how it impacted the future generations. It's interesting to notice in chapters, if, if you would have taken time to look at, you didn't know I was going to preach from Ecclesiastes, but if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 4, you know, uh, and probably the first thing that comes to mind is the vanity of vanities that Solomon talks about. He had everything. Everything was going for him. And he talks about how empty and vain it was, especially through chapters 1 through 4. And then he comes to chapter 5, and it seems like he's saying, okay, the creation, man doesn't have the answers to life or the satisfaction of life. And so he brings us to chapter 5, and he says, there's something more important uh, to live for, and that is God. And uh, so the writer, or Solomon here of Ecclesiastes in chapter, tells us about the vanity of creation, and then he brings us and introduces us to who we ought to be communicating with. Not the things of creation, but the creator of the creation. And that's, that's ultimately what worship is about. We as the creation, and God as the creator. And that, that gives us the premises on which we worship God. He as the creator and we as his creation. It's him whom we desire to meet with today in worship. Have you sensed God's presence in this service today? And again, are you listening to what he has to say to you this morning personally? You know, I, it says, and be more ready to hear. I had to think about that, be more ready to hear. Uh, I thought about the, uh, you know, should our services be held in silence? Will we hear God that way? Uh, I thought about the Quakers' perhaps attempt to that. Uh, I'm told, I've never been in a Quaker service that I remember anyway. Uh, I'm told that the Quaker traditional non program services, there's probably only about 11% uh, of the Quakers would actually conduct or services in that way, where they simply sit in silence and wait for... Anybody here ever been in a Quaker service by way of interest? No way. 
But I'm, I'm told that as, as they sit in the traditional way and, and as the Spirit moves, they, they stand up and they share. Uh, nothing programmed, it's simply as the Spirit would move. I'm not saying that's wrong. We sometimes have sharing services. Uh, again, that's probably somewhat planned. Uh, and maybe theirs end up that way too. But the, I was told that only 11% of the Quakers actually practice their worship in that way. One of the things I thought about that is I thought about the silence of worship. You know, um, you know, I'm talking here this morning, and I hope my talking is not distract, distracting from the truth of God's Word or God's Spirit working in your life, but rather enhancing that. Uh, but one of the things, one of my memories of, of, of silence in the Lancaster Conference and the Eastern Church where I grew up in, uh, between the Sunday school service and the church service, usually the, like Dennis gave the announcements, and typically the deacon or uh, one of the other ministers would have a short devotional. And that prayer, we had a prayer after that, a kneeling prayer between church, Sunday school and church. And that kneeling prayer, usually about two-thirds of that prayer was, was silent. Anybody else remember that? I don't know if it's a tradition from long ago, but we kneel for prayer, and then there was nobody. Nobody prayed audibly until uh, you know a, a span of time, and then whoever was doing the devotional then would have just a short vocal prayer and say amen. But uh, and I'm guessing the tradition or the purpose behind that was that as we approached that worship service, that each one individually was supposed to be searching their hearts and lives for. I don't know if that's the purpose behind it or not. We don't do it here. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It was a tradition. It could be a good tradition or a bad tradition. You could have been thinking about a thousand other things. But I'm thinking the, 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 the importance of it was that individually we inspect our own hearts and lives as we come to worship God. Just a memory I had uh, in relation to the silent aspect of it. You know, the, the singing you're joining in, but are you thinking about what you're singing? Are you listening while you sing to God speaking to you? Appreciate it, number 518 that uh, Justin let this morning. I thought it was a very uh, little different tune, I think, maybe. Jesus, love our my soul. But you, you, you think about what he was, you know, what the words were that were being, uh, that you were expressing. Again, praying. Generally, in our experience, it's led. But are you thinking about what is being said as the individual is praying vocally? Being more ready to hear. You know, how would that work? Sunday school devotional, the class, the preaching. Well, really, as I thought about that, you know, those that are, that are asked to share, really, it's not that we, we don't listen. We had better done our listening before. <laughs> At least that's the way I see it. As you, as you prepare a Sunday school lesson, as you prepare, prepare a devotional, uh, as you prepare to preach, you know, you'd better have been doing some listening before. You get up here so that those are going to, those of, as an audience are going to benefit from your listening to God before. So the intent is that as we have listened before, as others have listened before, then as they share, that uh, God, you will be blessed by what God has given them to share. As you listen this morning, or any time, Sunday school, devotionals, sermons, you may not always agree with everything that is shared, okay? You may not think that everything applies to you, perhaps. That's very likely, perhaps. Um, but I would say this, however, 
I believe in every service that you have come to meet God, even though you may not agree with everything, even though you may not think that everything applies to you, I believe, I firmly believe this, that there is going to be at least one nugget of truth that you can take home with you that will enhance you to live your Christian life throughout the next week. And the reason I say that is because I say that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you have come seeking God this morning, I'm confident this morning that you'll find at least one nugget of truth that you can take along home with you to strengthen your spiritual walk with God through the next week. Because God is that kind of a God. He's a giver. And He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And if I'm going away from Prairie Mennonite Church frequently and saying there's nothing there for me, I, it's the preaching is empty, the teaching is empty, then I need to look within my own self and say, how much am I desiring to meet God? Well, what else happens as we have gathered together? Keep thy foot, so, okay, watch your feet. Uh, you have made a decision to walk in. Uh, you're making a you're making a very conscious effort this morning to be attentive. At least I, everything's quiet, <laughs> and even the babies are good. But what else is what else do we do? Well, it says then to give the sacrifice of fools. Now I don't think anybody intended to come here this morning and to give the sacrifice of fools. But I had to think. We came this morning to give. Each one of you came this morning to give. What did you bring this morning to your? to this worship service. Well, I believe, first of all, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, you have brought yourself a living sacrifice. You have brought yourself. You are acknowledging that you are giving your life in, to God in service for Him. You're allowing God to speak to you. Uh, I don't know what He's going to ask for you to sacrifice. We have, he, has asked of, he, he has asked, if I can say it correctly, He has asked us to give us our all. Uh, exactly what that, what that entails, I don't know. God's Spirit can work in your life this morning. But you have given yourself a living sacrifice. We are called to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, talks about the monetary gift that you shared here between the Sunday school and, and church. It says, upon the first day of the week, we should lay aside and, and give and share. And we did that. I believe that's biblical. And Wednesday evening we'll, we'll see some numbers of that monetary giving. Not for glorification of ourselves, but only for accountability and recognition to, uh, for, to, for the glory of God this, uh, this morning. Furthermore, each of you by your presence, I believe today, are an encouragement to me personally, each of you here this morning, but also to, I believe, to the rest of you in attendance this morning. I believe that's an encouragement to each other as we collectively gather and worship together. Well, how many does, how many does it take to collectively, collectively worship God? I had to think of the verses in Matthew 18, uh, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name. Uh, and one of the questions that came up as we were, you know, Dennis mentioned in the announcements about the church expansion committee, building committee, whatever. Uh, you know, one of the questions that was discussed in some of our previous discussions was, what is the optimum number for a congregational size? <laughs> what is the optimal number? Uh, and, and this kind of gets thrown out occasionally. What, what's the optimal number for uh, congregational size? Well, you know, I'm, I'm honest enough to say that I don't know if there's any special number. Uh, 
Different sized groups, I'll say this, different sized groups have their different challenges, I believe. Uh, I was with this church when it was just a small group, five families. And uh, I just had to reflect back and think back over some of the challenges. Uh, you know, a small group, everybody's involved, it takes everybody. Uh, you know, larger groups have their own unique challenges too. Smaller groups, perhaps you may get discouraged easier. Actually, uh, I think it was the second year we were here, we, we had decided we're leaving. We were going to move back to Pennsylvania. We had subscribed to the Lancaster Farming, and we were going to move. Uh, Arlen and Becky... Arlen and Becky Geigley, we, we were the first young, well, we moved in here kind of the same time, two young couples, and, uh, you know, they left the second, first winter, I guess, or the second winter, and we said, well, we're going to leave too, and uh, we never got it done, praise the Lord, I guess. Uh, I'm confident God wanted us to stay here, but, uh, you know, I had to think about some of those long-ago memories, you know, uh, I remember teaching the youth class down at at that time, we were meeting in the chapel of Maranatha Bible School. Didn't have this facility here, and we met every Sunday morning. This was during the summer. And I was teaching the youth class down in, I don't know, 103 or 105. I don't know which one it was. And uh, I'm not sure how this relates to the sermon, but it does in a certain sense. Because I was teaching, and uh, I don't know if Delvin was with me or not. I, he may have been. I think he was probably born. I don't, you remember this? <laughs> I was teaching youth class, and uh, I just felt I just felt like something was coming over me. And uh, the youth boys later told me this that they could see something was happening to me. This I was getting whiter and whiter and whiter. And I finally just dismissed the class. I said, "Well, you just may as well go back. I'm not feeling well." And I went over in the dorm and laid down on one of the bunks and wasn't laying there real long. And then Brother Sam came back to check on me. He said, "Well, what's what's the matter?" I said, "I don't know." I said, <laughs> I, said "I just didn't feel well." And you remember that, Don? I don't know if you were long or not. He was. Uh, would have been just a little tight, but if he was, but uh, I was impressed with the talk about a, a small church and uh, you know the compassion Brother Sam showed in coming and checking on me. You know he could have thought, well, you know whatever happened, but uh, you know just a small thing. Uh, but it was impressive. It it stuck with me. I'll never forget it. And uh, you know I, I probably felt like Dan did up here teaching Sunday school too. I you know I was I had taught the youth class before, and I don't know really what had happened. It was, but I, I know I, I, I could feel it coming over. I thought, wow, I better get him out of here before I hit the floor. <laughs> we're talking about, in our Wednesday evening, we're talking about the worship experience of the children of Israel with the tabernacle. And uh, in, our, in our Sunday school text, they talked about the, uh, the brazen uh, labor, I believe it was. Talked about that. Uh, you know, we were talking about their worship experience and how formal it was and maybe how, you know, it was, it was, it was according to God's plan and purpose. God had a plan and purpose in it. And, uh, you know, we look at our worship experience in, in, in comparison to that and we think, wow, you know, it, there's no comparison almost. But it's the same God. And it's a different dispensation, different time. Another question I thought about, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you to answer this, but you think about this. Uh, where did the, the child Samuel serve? Was that with Eli? Was that in the tabernacle or was that in the temple? Uh, just think about that question and uh, you can answer it for me uh, sometime. Well, where should we worship? The, uh, I believe we need to worship, we can worship anywhere, 
But uh, turn in your Bibles to John, go to the New Testament. I've been looking here at the Old Testament. Turn to John chapter 4. Verses 19 uh, through 26. This is a question that the Samaritan woman raised to Jesus at the well there. She said, uh, in essence, she said, where should we worship? And, uh, you know, people, I believe, sometimes ask that question today. What, uh, maybe not so much where, but how should we worship? Or what is the right way to worship? And uh, John 4, verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I know we're missing a lot of the dialogue before that, but uh, this was a Samaritan woman. The story is probably familiar to most of us. But Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We worship what we worship, for salvation is of... We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Well, what is a worship service? You know, here it was two. I believe that was a worship service right there. It was Christ and that woman. Notice what happened. As Christ or as Christ communed and, and shared with this woman, I believe that was a worship service. He expounded to her the truth. She had a question. She came, she came searching. She came with a desire to learn. Uh, Jesus answered those questions. And notice what the results were of that, uh, of that worship service. Verses 27 through 30. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man saith, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Uh, that should be the result of worship. That should be what takes place here today. You should go out and come and see Christ. Uh, come and worship. Come and see the Messiah. Uh, someone has said worship is actually, could be described this way. I was talking about preaching.
Worship should involve all of those. That's an acrostic there. You think of proclaiming the, the good news, the story of salvation, and that's what Jesus did here with the Samaritan woman. Uh, it ought to involve release of the captivity of sin from sin. Uh, it ought to be an encouraging experience. Our worship experience should be an encouraging experience uh, in, in a spiritual dimension. Um, it, ought to, it ought to be relating. Uh, it has the ability to relate or to share uh, in, in many different aspects. You know, if I'm, if I'm so, I'm not, not by any stretch of imagination, but if I was so theologically tenor that I was shooting above your heads all the time, you know, what purpose would it do? Uh, using words that, Children can't understand. You know, I, I tend to be more practical and down to earth. Uh, that's, at least that's my interpretation of myself. <laughs> if it's different, let me know. <laughs> uh, compassion. Jesus exemplified that so many times. As he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. And again, the example, Brother Sam, he probably, he probably wouldn't even remember that. I'm sure he doesn't remember it. But you know, just a small thing, and it, it just impressed me. Am I moved with compassion as I look into your lives this morning and know that Jews have a week to face next week and my message is supposed to sustain, well, not, it's not my message, but I'm the channel through which that message has sustained you spiritually? Holiness of life. No man can worship God without the holiness of God. Well, worship we worship We worship at prairie. I think that's good. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. Whether we'll continue to worship here, I had to think about, you know, and maybe this is for Ryan and Lynn and Mark, I guess. You know, this is only a temporal worship place, a temporal place in all of our planning. Turn to Revelations chapter 21. There's a place of worship that is going to be far more enduring, far more lasting. And I think this is important. I think we need to make plans. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should go home and forget, <laughs> forget about your assignment because we gave you the assignment to, uh, to consider some things. But Revelation chapter 21, I'd like to read verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple therein. This is John speaking here. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of the God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now that's the ultimate eternal worship experience that you and I have to look forward to. And this morning we're in preparation of that. Uh, and our worship experience should do that, should prepare us for this experience in Revelations. No temple there, no, no structure necessarily, worshiping God. Well, in conclusion this morning, I'd like to ask you, how is your worship experience at Prairie? Are there things that we can do to enhance it? I'm not saying we're doing it just right. There may be some things we can do to enhance that worship experience. And we certainly want to be open to that. But again, I believe personally myself, personally yourself, we need to ask ourselves time and time again, why am I here? Why am I, what am, what's my anticipation? What's my expectation as I come to worship? Have I met God? Am I leaving 
fulfilled? Am I leaving uh, with encouragement to live and, and serve the Lord through the coming week?